Good morning, Faith Bible Church. My name is Levi Anderson, and I am one of the pastors here at Faith. And and I work specifically with our uh, evangelistic and discipleship ministries. And and Pastor Steve, he's out of town here for a few weeks, so I'll be with you on Sunday mornings this week and next week. And I'm really excited to be with you and and to look at God's Word together this week and next week. Um, Now this weekend, for me personally was actually somewhat of a surreal milestone in my life, as, as yesterday was actually the 10-year reunion from my graduating class from high school. Now, I didn't attend the event, and I'm not all that brokenhearted over of that, but those kind of times in your life start to take you down memory lane a little bit. And, and as I knew this event was happening yesterday, the last few weeks I've, I've been thinking a lot, strangely enough, about my high school lunchroom. Now, lunchrooms can be a very strange place, not just because of the food, but because at least where I went to high school, uh, where you sat seemed to really matter. I mean, I couldn't just go sit at any table I wanted to. We were all grouped off. Over here, you had the, the athletes, you had the academically inclined, and then, at least in my high school, you had the Monroe Evangelical Free Church youth group table. Some of us from our, our youth group had decided, hey, let's, let's start eating lunch together. And so we did. Some of us sat together and, and every now and then we'd even uh, read a little devotional or something. Um, but it was us together. And not everyone from our youth group could obviously fit at a table or did. But there was one person in particular that I noticed was missing. And that was my closest friend, Grant. He sat with us maybe once, but then I noticed one day that he was sitting at a table way off in the far corner with some kids that I actually really didn't know very well. And I don't think anyone really knew these kids very well, actually, because for some reason, nobody wanted to sit at their table. And in fact, nobody even sat at the tables around them. For some reason, I'm not even sure what it was, they were on the other side, in a very visible way, of this strange cultural barrier in our high school. Them and and my friend Grant, that is. And I had this image burned in my mind, of me and my Christian friends sitting, eating lunch together, maybe there's a Bible or two open, and out of the corner of my eye, I can see Grant with those kids that I can't even really remember their names. And the ironic thing is that I, I really thought that my lunch table, we, we were really being like Jesus. And, and we certainly weren't doing anything wrong. It, it was a great thing. But now that I'm a decade removed, it's that image that's burned in my mind. A step across an everyday cultural barrier for the sake of the gospel. That's, from my perspective, that's definitely what was going on. That's what's stuck with me. Maybe that's because it resonates with what we read in this book. And with what Jesus himself did. Taking his message of the gospel, not just to people who seem to fit at his table, but to everyone. And I hope this morning that we can all agree that yes, the gospel message is for everyone. But in our time together... My goal is is to bring that into everyday real life. Because again, that is what Jesus did. So this morning we're going to be in John chapter 4. We're going to read the, go through the first 26 verses, the first half of this story. 
And in this text, we're going to see one very simple point. It's, it's printed in your bulletin. That Jesus used everyday living as an opportunity to offer the living water. Jesus used everyday living as an opportunity to offer the living water. We're going to see this fact from a, very, a pretty well-known story, actually. Most of us call it the woman at the well. And what's really interesting about this story is it comes right after a few other really well-known stories. This conversation that John the Baptist had with his disciples, which is right after Nicodemus and his interaction with Jesus Christ in John chapter 3. And we talked about those stories last time I was with you. And, in, and when we looked at those, we saw that John is setting up this really strong element of contrast between these stories. In Nicodemus, we see a wrong reaction to the claims of Jesus. In that story, he didn't believe. And John is contrasting that with a right reaction to Jesus. And I think the text of John is compelling us to ask this question as we read through it as a whole. John, are you telling me that a guy like Nicodemus, he doesn't get it? He doesn't believe in Jesus? As we continue reading this morning, we're going to see John replies to that question by saying, yeah, that's right. But let me show you somebody who does. Not just John the Baptist. You might have seen that one coming. But someone who you probably never expect. That element of contrast is continued in chapter 4. Where we'll find ourselves this morning. And next week too. We'll finish the story. The woman at the well. So we are going to take our time just taking in this in two parts. Because this morning we're going to see the actual interaction between Jesus and this woman. And next week he's going to unpack some of the truths behind our witness. Our our testifying to the gospel. So let's look at John chapter 4. The first six verses setting the stage for this story. Listen as I read these. Therefore when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. Although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were. He left Judea and went again into Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob had given his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. And it was about the sixth hour. Go way back into your memory banks to John chapter 3, where we see John the Baptist say these really famous words now about him decreasing and Jesus increasing. Well, here in this text, we see that that's literally coming true. Jesus' following was growing. And so it seems to avoid controversy, he moves on to another region. Now, to get from where he was to where he was going, there's several paths he could have taken. But did you notice in verse 4, it says that he had to go through Samaria. Now this should send off alarms in our mind. Because if we're familiar with the scripture, we know that there's this historic conflict between the Jewish people and the Samaritan people. Remember the Samaritans were partially Jewish ethnically and also partially Jewish religiously. They had built a counterfeit temple and practiced really a counterfeit Judaism. And this all resulted in centuries of conflict and hatred. So needless to say, the Jews and the Samaritans, they as a whole did not get along. 
So much so that most folks would have avoided the region altogether. They'd go out of their way to go around Samaria so that they didn't even have to go through it. It's kind of like if you were going to Colorado via South Dakota to avoid Nebraska altogether. That's kind of what most people would have done. But not Jesus. Jesus had to go through Samaria. Because God had plans for Samaria. And at the very outset of our text, we begin to see something powerful about the nature of the gospel and Jesus' mission. The very geographical movements of Christ show us something about who this message, this gospel, is for. Maybe even people like the Samaritans. Well, this is where Jesus finds himself. In Samaria, at high noon, needing a drink, needing a rest, right by a well. Let's see what happens next in the verses 7 through 9. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Now let's pause right here for a second because a very interesting Samaritan woman just entered our story. It's very interesting that she's by herself. That, that definitely would have been the norm for getting water like this. And it's also very interesting that she's doing this work. It was work in the heat of the day. That definitely wouldn't have been the norm either. And as we look at these at face value, we might begin to ask these questions of why is she not going to get the water at the normal time with the rest of the women? Is she ostracized for some reason? Is she some kind of an, an outcast? Well, Jesus doesn't get into all that. He simply says, excuse me, ma'am. And that's, it, it reads kind of harsh in our English where he says, woman, give me a drink. Uh, uh, maybe a, a better translation would be ma'am. He says, excuse me, ma'am. If, if you're pulling up some water, would you mind getting me a glass too? It's a simple enough request. In fact, it's the kind of thing we probably do all the time. You're over at Aldi. You see a guy grabbing for the box. And you say, hey, if you're getting some of that cereal, could you grab me one as well? It's the kind of thing we do all the time. But the text is making this very clear. That that which seems like the ordinary, everyday life stuff is actually quite extraordinary. In fact, this Samaritan, who's a woman, and for some reason is by herself... Is totally taken aback. You know who you're talking to, right? You want this glass of water from me? And the text, it's really emphasizing this. We've mentioned this deep-seated hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans already. But John emphasizes it once again in verse 9 with his little added note. That these groups did not hang out at all. Most people wouldn't even have been there. But Jesus was, and he did. He had absolutely no problem stepping right through that cultural barrier. Now, is he simply being nice? Well, that's part of it. It's nice to talk to people. But maybe there's something else going on, too. Look how he steers the conversation in the next verses. We're going to read verse 10 through 15 to see what Jesus does here. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God... 
And who it is who says to you, give me a drink. You would have asked him and he would have given you living water. She said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with. And the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You're not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Who gave us this well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty nor come all this way here to draw. You see, Jesus reaches out to this Samaritan woman in a totally normal way, blowing right through a ton of cultural barriers. But again, not just to be nice. In verse 10, Jesus makes a gospel shift, turning the conversation in a spiritual direction. Now, if you've ever tried to do that before, having an everyday conversation with people and trying to take it in a spiritual direction, you know that that can actually be kind of tricky. In fact, when, when Charity and I were in Dallas, we worked at a church there with college students, and I actually had them practice this kind of role play. How could this play out in real life? Talking just normal everyday conversation and moving it to spiritual things. And one of the suggestions that was actually offered up after we had practiced was about the weather. You know, we talk about the weather all the time. Oh, it's wonderful weather we're having outside. Yeah, it's, it's great. You know, speaking of weather, I wondered whether you've ever accepted Jesus. <laughs> I kind of, I, I didn't even really know what to say because that stuff's kind of weird. <laughs> it's not conducive for real life conversations. Jesus didn't say, well, have you ever heard of the gospel? That one takes a second, but (laughs) it was totally natural, totally flowing from his heart that Jesus steered the conversation this way. And look how he does it. The gal is basically saying, do you know who I am? (laughs) And he responds profoundly. He says, if you knew who I was, you'd be the one asking me for water. And this stuff's pretty good. But I have living water. I love how the NLT translates this in verse 14. Speaking of this water, it says it becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Such a cool image. Water and life. And it's an image that should should catch our attention because we've probably heard it before. If you go read Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, they all speak of this living water. This very gospel comes back to this image. Keep reading down in John chapter 7. Jesus again promises rivers of living water. But this gal, she's not totally tracking at this point. In fact, she goes the other direction. If you look at verse 11... She gets very practical, asking Jesus, how do you plan to get this? You don't have a bucket. How are you going to get this living water? And in verse 12, I think she takes her skepticism to another level, asking this question that I think has a bit of snark behind it, saying, are you trying to say you're greater than Jacob? You know, that guy was pretty well respected, and even he had to dig to get water. 
Again, she was, she was totally focused on the practical. And doesn't seem to totally get it. But she does know whatever Jesus is talking about, she wants it. She doesn't want to keep lugging water back and forth from the well to her house. I mean, we turn on a faucet to get a drink and to do get water. They had to carry this from the well to their house every day, over and over. This continual, never-ending process that ultimately never satisfied. It was, it was never enough. Hard work. And maybe she realizes it or not. But she's actually describing the state of her soul. Now, many of you know that I'm, I'm a huge football fan. And, and I especially love college football. I won't mention what team. But growing up in Nebraska, I uh, didn't have any pro team around to really follow. So when it comes to the NFL, you know, I have some teams I like. But I, I just kind of watch it because I like the sport. Um, but whether you're familiar with pro football or not, you've probably heard the name Tom Brady. He's the quarterback for the New England Patriots, and he's, he's really pretty much the best there is at this point right now. And, and before anyone freaks out to argue with me on that, remember, he has been in eight Super Bowls. He's won five of them. He has over a dozen Super Bowl records, and his contract the last two years was worth $41 million. Okay, so as far as the NFL, he's doing pretty good. On top of all that, he's seemingly happily married with, with three kids. I mean, what more could a guy want, right? Well, uh, apparently a whole lot more. A few years ago, 60 Minutes actually did an interview with Tom Brady. And in a, mo- in, and in a moment of uh, kind of unusual honesty, he said this. Listen to this quote. I think there is something greater out there for me. I mean, there's got to be more than this. The interviewer is visibly surprised. You can look up this video and re- responds by, what, do you know the answer? And Tom Brady, shaking his head, said, I wish I did. <laughs> I wish I did. You see, as we as humans, we try to satisfy this inherent thirst in our souls in any way possible. Sometimes it's like Tom Brady, success on top of success. And sometimes it's a little more painfully obvious, like we will find out with this woman at the well. But at the end of the day, none of it outside of Jesus truly satisfies. Brady just kept looking for something more. There's got to be something greater, he said. And it's in the very same way that this woman has to keep coming back to the well over and over. And our quest for living water, what ends up happening is we we guzzle cheap substitutes and they look all kinds of different ways, but they're ultimately seawater, only leading us to a place of greater need, less satisfied than we were before. Because what we're ultimately longing for, whether we know it or not, is what Jesus is offering here in John chapter 4. This soul-quenching work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts that allows us, as Jesus says, to never thirst again. That's what the living water is. The saving work and sustaining work of the Spirit in our lives. And that is what our woman at the well truly needed. And, And that's what she truly desired, whether she recognized it at this point or not. Because she, she understood the pain of perpetual dehydration. A life without living water. 
And that's where the conversation goes next. Look with me at verse 16 through 18. Jesus responds. He said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you've correctly said, I have no husband. For you've had five husbands. And the one you have now is is not your husband. This you have said truly. So this conversation just took a very interesting turn, didn't it? And we, we need to ask the question, why, why does Jesus ask this lady about her husband? Well, this is where I think Jesus really is the, the pro at these kind of gospel conversations in everyday life. Because with one simple question, and we'll see a, just a few follow-up words, Jesus brings this lady's desperate need for salvation, for living water front and center. And not only that, he reveals he knows everything. It's this image of divine knowledge. And he does all this with one question. Now, we don't know exactly the story behind these five marriages. But there's a few things we can know for sure. That even if this gal's in no fault at all at these past marriages, she would without a doubt know the pain, the effects of broken relationships. That sin has in our life in a very real way. She, she knew about that. I mean, imagine any combination of death or divorce five times over. Man, how painful that would be. And now, we see she's living with somebody. An arrangement that's clearly outside of God's design. You know, the word gospel itself, it means good news. And that's in contrast to to bad news. And I think that's what Jesus is bringing out here. The need for living water because of sin. And he's specific. But he's also very kind and very gracious. He doesn't make her flesh out all the dirty details. He simply says, I know. I I know all about it. Now, most of her town probably would have known all about it. Most of her family would have known all about it. The few friends she had left would have known all about it. But Jesus is a total stranger. And he says, I know. And again, it's this image of divine knowledge. And here on display specifically about the sins in this lady's life. The need for salvation. The brokenness that's there. And it's these, this aspect of these kind of conversations that can really make them difficult. Because talking about sin, it's, it's just not pleasant. It's not fun to talk about sin. It requires being vulnerable. It requires us to expose brokenness in our lives. But I find it interesting how she responds. Let's look at this. We're going to read verses 19 all the way through 26 to track the rest of this conversation. Look how she responds. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. An hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is truth. And those who worship him worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, 
I know the Messiah is coming. He who is called the Christ. When that one comes, he will declare to us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So <laughs> this conversation just went to a whole nother level this time. And so let's all unpack this a little bit by first looking at this gal's initial response. Her initial response to talking about her, her broken past. And I love her reaction. A stranger comes up to you, knows all your business, particularly the unpleasant parts, says they have living water, and how do you respond? Uh, Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Now, I want to give her a little credit because I've had a different experience when you get to this point in a conversation. One in particular that stands out is when I was in high school, our youth group actually did a trip with Dare to Share, same ministry that our our student ministry here works with, and we were doing door-to-door evangelism in Lincoln, Nebraska. I was paired with my one of my close friends, and we walk up to the door, and my buddy uh, proceeded to ask the man who answered, whose wife was standing right behind him, about the purity of his thought life. And the man proceeded then to close the door in our face. So I want to give this woman a little credit for not running away at this point. But if you notice, she does kind of run off with the conversation. In verse 20, it seems like she's trying to change the subject away from sin. It's possible she's just trying to show some kind of religious awareness. If you ever talk to people who aren't believers, sometimes they'll just bring up Christian and theological things to to have something to engage with you on. Or it's possible she's genuinely asking the question. But either way, she brings up this sticky subject that's that's a little off topic. Where should we worship? Now this question, this is a part of the Samaritan and, and Jewish debate. Right? So Samaritans, they said that the central place of worship was on Mount Gerizim. Which actually would have been right next to this well. So she could have pointed. That's where we worship. And they get this from kind of a twisted understanding of Deuteronomy chapter 11 and 27. While the Jews, they obviously had their central place of worship in Jerusalem. So this is sort of like the original worship wars here. And she wants to know which place is right. Okay, if you're a prophet who knows everything about my life. And you have living water. Figure this one out for me. Well, Jesus responds to this in several ways. But notice, he doesn't bite into her theological debate, go way down that rabbit trail. He doesn't buy into this you versus me approach to the conversation. He simply says to her, listen, you Samaritans, you don't even know what you're talking about. Remember, they only believed a few parts of the Old Testament. And even that got really twisted. So he says, the Jews are definitely on the right track on this one. But more than all that, you aren't even asking the right questions. You see, Jesus shifts the discussion here about away from the details of where people worship to one about how they worship. Particularly on the inside. And the question of where, he says it soon, it won't even matter. Because Jesus was ushering in a new era. And and there would be no temple in Jerusalem. Just a few years after that. But God's looking for something different altogether. He says he's looking for those who worship in spirit 
and in truth. Such a fascinating concept. Because you see, God doesn't just want us to be robots who who do all the right movements at the right place at, at the right time. No, instead, he wants this to be an issue primarily of the heart. But we all know that sincerity and passion and emotion, it can be misplaced. So we must be guided by truth. Specifically the truth of who Jesus Christ himself is. That's worshiping in spirit and truth. And Jesus brings all this up to flip the question on this gal. He says, you want to know where to worship at. But I want to know where your heart is at. And it's so interesting in verse 25. Almost as if she doesn't know what else to say. She says, you know, I know the Messiah is coming. He'll sort all this out. And she doesn't know how true her words are. And Jesus responds with maybe the two most loaded words in the whole Bible. In the Greek it reads, Ego eimi. I am. I am is the one who is speaking to you now. Does this sound familiar? The same words from Exodus chapter 8 that God says to Moses at the burning bush. And they're these same words that Jesus will say once again in this very gospel in chapter 8. And they'll send the Pharisees into a murderous rage. I am. It's me. I'm the Messiah. God himself. And with those words, their conversation, it, it, it ends. Emphasizing the person of Christ. Really, the, who he is, the core of the gospel message. And we see that Jesus masterfully used everyday living. To offer the living water. And as we think about this example, there's so many things we could pull out of it as in an application for how we could do this, right? Jesus didn't get sucked into arguments. He wisely steered the conversation. He asked piercing questions. And he did it all with profound kindness and grace. But notice that this all happened because Jesus was willing to see the everyday stuff that we do. As an opportunity to have a deeper conversation. And specifically here it's a conversation that most people would never have had to begin with. In the very next verse, we'll look at this next week. We'll see the disciples come back, see what's going on. And the text says they are totally shocked. They could not believe Jesus was speaking to this woman who was a Samaritan. They they couldn't believe it. But Jesus didn't care. He stepped right through that cultural barrier. And so this morning, I want to ask us, all of us, myself included, in the spirit of following Jesus' model, where in our lives can we step across the cultural barrier for the sake of the gospel? I'm not talking about a big event. Events are are wonderful. But what I'm talking about is, is the everyday activity where God has us. And it looks different for all of us. But where could we do that? You know, I know this issue between the Samaritans and the Jewish people is probably fairly familiar to some of us um, here. But I would encourage us not to dismiss that too quickly. Not only is it a huge aspect in the, in the gospel of John itself, but I think it's very relevant for all of us today. Because these kind of cultural barriers, they play out 
a thousand different ways in a thousand different contexts. Maybe it's the way people look or where they're from or how they vote or where they work, where they live. Maybe even just personality issues. And sometimes there's a barrier just by the fact that we say we are Christians. In fact, I'm, I'm currently reading a book right now that's authored by a man who's, who's, right now he's a pastor, but he was raised in a home where the family structure was uh, two moms. He had two moms and him, and that was their family. And he said the constant refrain in his home growing up was, Christians hate us. It wasn't even up for a debate. He said that's, that's what they was, he was told his whole life. Christians hate us. Now this morning you may genuinely say, oh, I don't feel that way. And all these other specific examples, I, I genuinely don't have any kind of barrier in my heart. And I really hope that's true. But I, I believe that there's people, even in this city, who would share this woman's same surprise if we simply stepped out and talked to them, engaged with them, showed love to them. And like with Jesus, in the surprise is often an opportunity. Just like the woman at the well, I pray that people would ask us, do you know who I am? Why are you talking to me? Why do you care? And maybe by God's grace, we can tell them why. You see, I'm convinced that if we're serious about joining Jesus on his mission, That we're going to have to show love to people who of course are like us. But also who are different than us. And do so very intentionally. Just like Jesus did. We take a gospel step across a cultural barrier. And we take some water with us. You know about a month or so ago I was thinking through this passage and this message. And and I was asking God to show me in a fresh way what this could look like in my life. Uh, very much like what we've been praying on Sunday mornings as we've been praying for these kind of opportunities. What does a well encounter look like for me living here in Cedar Rapids? What kind of relationship that crosses some kind of cultural barrier could I have for the sake of the gospel? And God answered that prayer within this last month while I was getting my hair cut. My new barber, who happened to be a Muslim, He began asking me questions. And I asked him some questions. And we kept asking more and more questions. And it led to a, by God's grace, a gospel conversation. Which then, God opened another door for another gospel conversation. Not just with him, but some of his friends as well. And God really did answer that prayer. I wasn't expecting it at all. And so if God's answered that prayer for you, me, or or Pastor Brian, we'd love to hear about how he's been opening those doors in our everyday life. Because it can happen in so many ways. Getting a haircut, sitting at a new lunch table, or even just getting a glass of water. There's a hundred different ways in a hundred different contexts. Unique to where God has you. You know, I'm struck that this whole episode in John chapter 4... It started with a very simple question from Jesus. Can I have a drink too? Because Jesus, he he didn't just want a drink. He had a vision that maybe it could be something more. It was simple, but it was a profound gospel gesture. 
engaging with a Samaritan woman, using everyday life to offer living water. A few minutes ago, we sang the song, We've Decided to Follow Jesus. And this morning, I would ask if we would follow Jesus in this way, taking this step. We've been praying for opportunities. So this week, if we haven't yet, let's step out and engage someone in some way. It can be very small, just like Jesus's was. But if we're willing and ready, maybe God can turn it into something big. Now, if you're here this morning and you haven't yet trusted Jesus, let me point you to an amazing aspect of this story that we're going to cover more in detail next week. You know, this woman who most people wouldn't have even talked to. They wouldn't even have been in the area, but they definitely wouldn't even have talked to her. Her life was defined by the pain of sin. She's going to be used to reach an entire region for Jesus Christ. You know, we mentioned that this story contrasts with Nicodemus, this pious religious man who showed us nobody's too good for Jesus. And as we read this story, we see nobody is too bad for Jesus. We all have a past. We all have sins. We all have brokenness in our lives. And we all thirst for something that truly satisfies. And the Bible says that this longing in our souls is only quenched by the free gift of salvation through Jesus himself. It's amazing. He knows all our past, every detail. And yet he steps right out to offer us this free gift anyway. Let me point you to one more verse and I'll close with this. Revelation chapter 22, verse 17. This verse reads, And the spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wants it take the water of life free of charge. See, the invitation is for us to drink this water, his salvation freely. Jesus gave his life And rose again that we might have that relationship with him. Through faith in who he is and what he did. It's freedom from sin. It's eternal life with him. If you'd like to know more about that free gift. And what it means to trust Jesus. I'd invite you to stop by our prayer room right in the back. We have some great resources where you can check this stuff out on your own. We'll also have a leader in there. One of our leaders, an elder. Who would love to answer any questions or pray for you. or, Or just hand you the material. If you're a believer here this morning, it's open to you as well. If you'd like prayer for a loved one or an opportunity or boldness or or anything at all, stop by and and take a moment in our prayer room. You know, next week we'll finish this story and we'll see how God used this simple conversation in a history-changing way.